Okay, um, so the book that I will be talking about today is called The Maid by Nita Prose. Not to be confused or mixed up with a book called Maid, and I forget who the author of that is, but I don't know if those of you who read that, and also I think they made a Netflix series about it, and that was different. That was a memoir written by a young woman who, um, who worked in low paying jobs. She was a single mother and worked in low paying jobs and wrote about her experiences as being a very low paid, struggling single mother. And that became a best-selling Netflix series. Um, but this, this is not, this is a different book. It's called The Maid. So the in front of it is the, is the um, important word here. And it's a first novel by a woman called Nita, N-I-T-A, Prose. And this book became a bestseller, kind of a, one of these runaway bestsellers. The author, Nita Prose, is a longtime book editor. She has been working for Simon, well, different publishing houses, but now for Simon & Schuster. And she has been the agent for many best-selling authors and their books over her career. And now it's her turn, sort of be on the other side of the aisle, so to speak, as an, the author of a book herself. And she lives in Toronto, here in Canada, Canadian, in Toronto, Canada. And as she says, her house is only moderately clean. And for those of you who've read the book, you'll realize that this is, you know, she's, she's being a little humorous here because the whole point of the book, the main character in the book, the maid, the, the pseudonym, pseudonymic um, character in the book, Molly, Molly the maid, maybe her name is Molly, um, loves cleanliness and is very obsessive in her cleanliness. So that's why it's kind of cute that on the book jacket, Nita Prose says that she lives in a house that is only moderately clean. And this book, her first novel, Nita Prose's first novel, became a New York Times and Canadian bestseller just a few weeks after its release on January the 4th, 19, uh, sorry, 2022. So it, at the beginning of this year, that's when the book came out. And it really, it spent a long time on the bestseller list. It was also not that easy to get hold of. If you tried at the Cote St. Luke Library, there was a very long waiting list. I don't know, maybe there still is, but it was uh, really um, became a runaway bestseller. So she is now, this, as I said, she's a longtime editor, and she's currently the vice president and editorial director at Simon and Schuster. She says, she said in an interview that the day The Maid was published was a really important moment for me as the author. Why? And if you know, if you've heard different authors speak, they often say the same thing. Because the book was no longer only mine. And I, I, over the years, I remember reading you know, interviews with other authors and they say the same thing. They say when the author is working on a book and authors can work on books for years and years or maybe not so many years, but a long time, it's the author's creation, their baby, so to speak. And then once the book gets published and put out in the world, it's no longer only the author's baby. So that's what she said. Once it got published, it was no longer mine. It was now something that belonged to the readers. This is what she told the CBC in an interview. She said, and I will never be able to read it the same way again. 
knowing that others have now read it. Must be a, a strange feeling, you know, as this from the point of view of the author. She is one of the, la the latest industry professionals here in the Canadian publishing world to become a best-selling author, following in the footsteps of several other fellow Canadian publishing industry um, people and their novels. So this book was published by Penguin Random House of Canada, not Simon & Schuster, different publishing house. And as it's called, it was called by one of the reviewers, a gripping mystery about an awkward yet perfectionist hotel maid, Molly, we found out her name is Molly, who becomes the lead suspect in a murder case after finding a man dead in his hotel room. This is a novel about what it means to be the same as everyone else and yet entirely different. I think of it as a whodunit, Nita Prose says. It may be a little different too because the mystery can only be solved through a connection, a connection to the human heart in Molly the Maid, the book's main character. This is Nita Prose speaking. So where did she get the idea for this story? This is, this is interesting. She said that two years earlier in 2019, pre-COVID, I guess, I'm just thinking when she was, when, when, when she was, oh yes, of course, pre-COVID, COVID was 2020. She was staying at a hotel and on a, when she was on a business trip in London, London, England. And one evening when she returned to her room, she said she completely startled the hotel's maid who was there in her room cleaning, but she didn't realize. And I, she said, I have this strong memory of her stepping back into a shadowy corner. This is the maid who she startled because the maid was coming in, perhaps like this was the evening. So maybe she was coming in to turn down the bed and get the room ready for the guests in the evening. And, and Nita Pro startled the maid when she came into the room. And she said, I remember her stepping back into a shadowy corner of the room. And the embarrassing part for me is that she had in her hands my track pants, the pants to my track suit, which like typical me, kind of a fool, I had left in a tangled mess on the bed. And it was then that pros realized how being a maid was such an intimate and yet invisible job. And it's, it's true, it's really interesting when you think of it, intimate and invisible. And on the plane ride home, her main character came to her mind, she said, and these are her words, the author's words, like a lightning bolt, a bolt of lightning came to her that this was going to be the beginning of a novel, the germ of the idea, and the main character. And it all came from this coming into her hotel room that night on that business trip and startling the maid who was preparing to turn down her bed for the night. She says, the voice of Molly was clean and crisp and precise in my head. I didn't have any paper. Remember, she's still sitting on the airplane. So I grabbed the napkin from under my drink and I wrote the prologue to the maid in a single burst. 
I didn't realize that I was really starting my debut novel, but that's what she did when she wrote it. And let me just read to you. I don't know if everybody has read it or not, but it, if you have, it might've been a while ago. So what was this prologue to, that became, well, the, this bit that she wrote down that became the prologue to her novel that she wrote on the Snapchat? She writes, I'm your maid. I am your maid. I'm the one who cleans your hotel room, who enters like a phantom when you are out gallivanting for the day, no care at all about what you've left behind, the mess, or what I might see when you're gone. I'm the one who empties your trash, tossing out the receipts you don't want anyone to discover. I'm the one who changes your sheets, who can tell if you slept in them and if you were alone last night or not. I'm the one who straightens your shoes by the door, who puffs up your pillows and finds stray hairs on them. Yours? Not likely. I'm the one who cleans up after you drink too much and soil the toilet seat or worse. When I'm done with my work, I leave your room pristine. Your bed is made perfectly with four plump pillows as though no one had ever lain there. The dust and grime you left behind has been vacuumed into oblivion. Your polished mirror reflects your face of innocence back at you. It's as though you were never here. It's as though all of your filth, all of your lies and deceits have been erased. I am your maid. I know so much about you, but when it comes down to it, what is it that you know about me? And that was her prologue to the book. So this is what she wrote on that napkin. That was the beginning of her novel. And as she said, she didn't realize that this was going to be the beginning of her book, of a book. So what makes a book become so successful? It's an interesting question. I mean, this is not a great work of literature. It's a cute whodunit. And there have been interesting comments about it. it as I said, it became very popular. But what makes a book a runaway bestseller? So the editor um, at McClellan and Stewart, one of the editors there, said that novels like this, like The Maid, can do well as a debut thanks to planning and timing. Fundamentally, it is, the per it is that perfect moment of a really wonderful manuscript and great marketing and publicity. And things work when every part of the process comes together and hits just the right moment. So for Nita Prose, this was very lucky. And this seems to have been what happened to her with the maid. The, uh, this, this other industry executive also mentioned that having an, a, a strong character is very important to audiences because that's the fundamental quality to a good story. And the voice of Molly the maid here in this book is a strong voice. And, and it's probably that that made the book so popular with readers. We see, says this public publishing executive, that people respond to a powerful character and voice. That's something that's really capturing people and creates a sort of sense of community. Um, and in fact, to know even, Universal Pictures has also picked up Prose's book even before they picked it up, even before it was published, to adapt it into, the, into a film. Although the date hasn't been, the release date has not been announced. And you know, often if 
books get picked up as possible films. I think many of them do, and they never end up being made into films, but who knows? You can see that this could be work very well as a film. Um, and so the author says, Nita Pro says, I'm so lucky because all the people I've been working with so far have taken my material and amplified it in ways I never would have dreamed of. So to get to the book, the work that goes into an immaculate hotel room often goes unnoticed, unnoticed by the guests at least. You know, you walk into the finished product and you can appreciate the elegant simplicity, everything crisp and delightful and new. As one of the readers of the book commented, this is how I feel about reading The Maid, which is Nita Prose's short but memorable debut crime novel. It is a pleasure to experience, continues this reader, and I don't think that we readers would realize all the behind the scenes hard work that goes into crafting such a mystery. So who is Molly the maid? Molly the maid is a maid at the Regency Grand Hotel and she loves her job. Loves maybe is an understatement, but she definitely is the, the way she speaks about her job as those of us who read the book, you know, this is, this is one of the main themes of the story. There's nothing it seems that she adores more than returning rooms, hotel rooms, dirty rooms or used rooms to a state of perfection. This is something, this is a comment that she keeps making throughout the book. Every day of work is a joy to me, she tells us early on in the story, Molly the maid. I was born to do this job. And she says in the first chapter, and how does, how does the author set up this book? She sets it up, so there's that prologue, which I read to you. And then the book is set up into chapters, the days of the week. It's Monday to Friday, and at the end, you have an epilogue. And that's so, that, so this is how she has divided up her story. Monday, the novel opens, and with Monday, she writes, I am well aware, and the story is told in first person. It's a first person narrator. So we're told the whole story, this whole detective crime novel. And it really does fit into the genre of kind of an Agatha Christie-like closed room mystery. Like, in, I guess you've like, like, like the clue, the game clue, the mystery game clue. That it, because the setting, I mean, yeah, a little bit of the action takes place in, in Molly's apartment um, but the, and other couple of small places, but mainly the setting is this hotel, the Regency Grand Hotel. And interestingly enough, if you think of it, those of you who read the book, the, the location of this hotel is never named. I kind of assumed as I was reading the book that it's set in London, England, like it had this very British feel. Why? And maybe those of you who are um, who read the book also will say because it seems so British and because Molly the maid, her beloved grandmother who has died nine months earlier and who was who had brought her up and who she loved and adored and was having a very hard time getting through life now without her grandmother. Her grandmother was always talking about making a cup of tea, a cuppa, which is, you know, such a British expression, and they drink tea all the time, and just the setting seems so British, except then if you paid attention to the details of the book, it, it, it was not British, um, 
And this, and one of the characters in the book, Giselle, the second wife of Mr. Black, the, who's the man found dead in the hotel room at the beginning of the novel. You know, and again, it's like this clue-like setting, like so-and-so is found in the room with the this. You remember if you ever played the game Clue? So Mr. Black was found dead in his hotel room <coughs> with, um, I don't know what, okay, so around it, but that's, but that's the feel of the story. And, um, and she's, so, you don't know where it's set. Could it be set in in Toronto? Is it a Canadian setting? Like it's a big city, um, but I don't think it's London. And then in her spelling, I don't know if anybody noticed these little things, but for example, in her spelling, when Molly is talking and she's talking about writing a check, like a check, she doesn't spell it C-H-E-Q-U-E. She spells it the American way, which kind of was jarring to me. And then, um, but I think the author made it on purpose that you could say it's generic, that it's it could be any hotel room in a large city. I mean, we're reading it in English. So in the English speaking world, so if you want to set it in London, I mean, there are no landmarks that do it. But as I said, I just kind of assumed it was London, England, because it sounded so British. But that was because of her grandmother and the tea drinking. But in any case, unnamed, at least as far as I could figure out. So she opens up the first, our voice tells us, Molly, the narrator, on, on Monday. Um, she says, I am well aware that my name is ridiculous. It was not ridiculous before I took this job four years ago. I'm a maid at the Regency Grand Hotel, and my name is Molly. Molly made a joke. Before I took the job, Molly was just a name given to me by my estranged mother who left me so long ago that I have no memory of her, just a few photos and the stories Gran has told me. Gran said my mother thought Molly was a cute name for a girl, then conjured apple cheeks and pigtails, neither of which I have, as it turns out. I've got simple dark hair that I maintain in a sharp meat bob. I part my hair in the middle, exact, the exact middle. I comb it flat and straight. I like things simple and neat. I have pointed cheekbones and pale skin that people sometimes marvel at, and I don't know why. I'm as white as the sheets that I take off and put on, take off and put on all day long in the 20 plus rooms that I make up for the esteemed guests at the Regency Grand, a five-star boutique hotel that prides itself on sophisticated elegance and proper decorum for the modern age. So she describes herself because it, you know, from first when you when you write a book in first person, who's going to describe the narrator? And if you and if the author wants us to have a feel of what the narrator looks like, the narrator, you know, you have to do it. So she 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 describes herself very, you know, clearly and precisely in the way she sees herself at the beginning on the first page of the book. Never in my life did I think I'd hold such a lofty position in a grand hotel. I know others think differently that a maid is a lowly nobody. I know we're all supposed to aspire to become doctors and lawyers and rich real estate tycoons, but not me. I'm so thankful for my job that I pinch myself every day. I really do, especially now without Gran. Without her, home isn't home. It's as though all the color has been drained out from the apartment we shared. But the moment I enter the Regency Grand, the world turns technicolor bright. And then she describes this lobby and she describes the beauty of the lobby and the gleaming brass, you know, um, 
railings on the stairs and the ornate art deco features of the terrace and this grand marble staircase and the and the and the chandeliers and the guests and she just loves it the, the, even the smells of the lobby she says redolent of the mix of ladies fine perfumes the dark musk of musk of the leather armchairs the zangy tangy zing of lemon polish that's used twice a day on the gleaming marble floors and it's just and, and I, I love this opening scene because it made me think not that I stay in fancy hotels um but just the feel if you've ever been in it or if you just you know you look at in movies or if you stay in hotels that it's just all the behind the scenes of stuff that goes on in a hotel so this is Molly talking and then she talks about her uniform how she loves her uniform and after a few pages of her voice you think to yourself this is an interesting voice who's speaking like what kind of a character here is molly she is our narrator and you know there's always the question when you read a work of fiction first person narrator is the narrator or even third person narrator but this this question this literary term of a reliable versus an unreliable narrator so and in this book molly seems everything if not the epitome of a reliable narrator she says to us she continues on and she says another thing that i love about my job is the uniform you think that you know i wouldn't like the, my uniform i love it it's a it's a white crisp white blouse and a black pencil skirt that's made out of stretch fabric for easy bending and when i change into my uniform my uniform is my freedom because it gives her freedom to become the maid and she and she just she says i am then whole once i am dressed in my uniform for my work day i feel more confident like i know just what to say and do at least most of the time and once i take off my uniform at the end of the day i feel naked unprotected undone and then she lets us in just a couple of pages into the book and she gives us a clue or she gives us a description more of really who she is and we get her a better idea of her character she says she tells us the truth is i often have trouble with social situations it's as though everyone is playing an elaborate game with complex rules they all know but i'm always playing for the first time i make etiquette mistakes with alarming regularity offend when i mean to compliment misread body language say the wrong thing at the wrong time it's only because of my grand that I know a smile doesn't necessarily mean someone is happy. Sometimes people smile when they're laughing at you or they'll thank you when they really want to slap you across the face. Grand used to say my reading of behaviors was improving every day in every way, my dear. That was your grandmother's voice. But now without her, I struggle. And so you see, you get this idea. Now, the question remains unanswered. It's never said to us, is Molly meant to be a character? Is she on the spectrum? Because this is, you know, this is this is 2022. So this is a very big um, issue that's <coughs> sorry, in the forefront of, of talking about. You know, for years and years and years, there were just people who we thought were okay, they're a little bit odd, they had trouble reading social situations, but then the whole discussion of so then there's autism and then there's asperger's syndrome and then but now we, i think the official term is you know autism spectrum disorder with asperger's being the highest functioning on this spectrum is she meant to be this 
as we, you know, think of other characters in very popular books that we've been reading, um, Graham Simpson's, the, what's that series, The Rosie Project, and The Rosie, there are, I think, three in that trilogy, that main character, remember Elifer, El Eleanor Oliphant is completely fine, there was another character who, it's never said, um, but, but you're meant to I mean, you get the feel that these characters have trouble reading social cues. And so Molly, this is really one of the defining qualities of Molly the maid. And as I say, she tells us this at the beginning of the book. And so, and it fits then that she says that I love being a maid because it's all about everything very precise and organized and she has her tasks cut out for her and nothing gives her greater pleasure. Okay, putting on her uniform gives her great pleasure, but getting her trolley of supplies with the newly and then she describes it. How does she say it? She says, there is nothing quite like a perfectly stocked maid's trolley. The crisp little packages of delicately wrapped soaps, the smell of orange blossom, the tiny Crabtree and Evelyn shampoo bottles, the squat tissue boxes, and last but not least, the cleaning kit, which includes a feather duster, lemon furniture polish, lightly scented antiseptic garbage bags, as well as an impressive array of spray bottles of solvents and disinfectants, all lined up and ready to combat any stain, be it coffee rings, vomit, or even blood. And that I thought was just great because she, her love of her maid's cart with everything precisely lined up, typical of, you know. Um, but when she adds this little bit here at the end, they're all lined up ready to combat any stains. And then what are the three stains that she mentions here? You know, these are stains that maids would deal with. Okay, maybe not so much blood or different kinds of blood Then we're going to come to because um, there's going to be all of that in the hotel when Molly is cleaning. So um, she, she says she is often bullied by co-workers. She is ignored by guests and she has learned to deal with the pain of that. She is so content in her role as a maid at this Grand Regency Hotel, where she is usually left to, to her own devices and largely blends in with the background. And as, as she tells us, she's often bullied by her coworkers, her supervisor and others, and they make fun of her. And she doesn't understand the names that they call her, the references, the snide remarks. remarks. And when her grandmother was alive, she could go home after a day of work and say, Grand, I don't understand what they, uh, what, you know, what was meant when they said such and such. But now she goes home every night alone. I, to this apartment where her grandmother, her beloved grandmother is no longer there. And she has nobody to explain the world to her. So it's a very, it's a very sad character in that sense at the beginning. She says, and, and she tells us that she was raised by her grandmother at the beginning. So it turns out that her mother had her and then her mother, and the father was never on the scene. He was an heir to good. And her mother was also, she fell into bad circumstances and it was left to her beloved grandmother to bring her up. And so it's this grand who she adores, who's always brought her up and it's been the two of them. And they spent their decades in this small apartment. They don't have very much money. Her grandmother had been a housekeeper to a wealthy family. 
as well and has was able to save up money her grandmother worked very very hard and she had taught molly all these principles about you know you're honest and you do a, a good day's job and if you enjoy your job that it's never really work because it's something you, that you love which molly has has found her calling in being a maid as well luckily for her but we find out at the very beginning that poor molly who is the victim really to the taunts and to the you know snide remarks of others because she just can't read these social clues um, but she'd also fallen, unfortunately, prey to the unscrupulousness of a fellow uh, student when she was taking a course in, in school uh, who relieved her of all her grandmother's savings. And Molly feels absolutely horrible that her grandmother's savings, that she was so taken for a ride by this young man who she thought was her boyfriend, so she really does not have very much money. She has trouble every month coming up with money to pay the rent. And when her grandmother dies, she's really, she's left alone. She's struggling. She's struggling financially. She's struggling socially. I mean, she's, strugg she's struggling emotionally. And her job is her, the only important element in her life. And then the big change happens right at the beginning of the story when she discovers the very dead body of a wealthy guest in his suite that she has been cleaning. And so this kicks off the crime caper that, that you know, is, the, is the, um, the action of the story involving Molly, because she's the one who finds this guest dead, very dead, as she said, in his hotel bed, and a host of other hotel staff members as well as the police and a police detective who, who does not understand our protagonist's literal ways. And Molly is accused of the murder of this hotel guest. She has very unwittingly landed herself a lead role in this smorgasbord of events. And you know her mannerisms and her language shows how she struggles to process the world that she lives in. She says to us, it is my express wish to live as ordered a life as possible, but the world is filled with random chaos that often bedevils my attempt at arrangement. And she, even though she, she, she repeats her grandmother's mantras constantly during the book, usually involving cups of tea and tidying up. Um, but as this crime tale continues, and I guess it could be, many of the reviewers refer to it as a cozy, I guess that's a, a term, you know, usually in British, these kind of Agatha Christie, or they're called cozies, these kind of crime mysteries. As this tale continues, and there, so there's the, it's the whodunit part of it is, who killed, you know, this, this wealthy guest was found dead in his bed, who killed him? And it turns out, so there's a whole, there's a whole bunch of others. He has a, a beautiful young second wife, who is there living with him in the hotel suite, who Giselle, who has become a friend sort of, although who are Molly's friends, she doesn't really know what, who she can trust as friends because she doesn't, she doesn't have the ability to read people, but she thinks that this Giselle, Mr. Black, he's the dead guest and talk about, you know, throwing in symbolism because he is the most evil of all the characters and his name is Mr. Black. So Mr. Black is found dead in the hotel room. Um, and 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 who did it? So you know, and who are the possible who are the possible suspects? There could be Giselle, this beautiful young second wife. 
There could be, um, it turns out as the story progresses that there have been all kinds of nefarious goings on that Mr. Black, who was supposedly a very wealthy real estate tycoon, was also involved in all kinds of other illegal and nefarious business dealings, which was, and the hotel was the location for a lot of these goings on. So as a front, you know, that this, this hotel was such a wonderful, elegant place, but what really was going on in the rooms of the hotel were less than, less than savory and less than nice. So it's a very well-intentioned novel. And Molly's voice is a very charming voice because there's this innocence to her voice, which, you know, the author has set her up as a character. Again, it's never said, you know, Molly never says that I am on the autism spectrum or something like that. She just says, I always have trouble with social situations. I really have trouble reading, you know, social cues. And she's very well aware of that. So, so this is the feel of the whole story. Um, by the end of the, so what happens, and I say it's set between Monday and Friday, and we get to meet a number of the other staff members of the hotel, then the police and the detectives, because Molly is the one who has, she's found Mr. Black dead in the hotel room, and she is accused of the murder. Um, and then all kinds of other things happen, so I'm not going to go into it because I don't know if everybody has read the story, uh, but we could talk about it. I'll take questions. I see that there is a question. Um, and by the end of the story, by the end of the book, we find out how Mr. Black has died. And it's a bit of a surprise. And I must say that I was a little bit taken aback and maybe a little disappointed in the ending because there's no way, I'm not good at ever figuring out who done it. So I don't read them that often, but I never really, I never get it. But in this case, I don't think there was any way that anybody could have figured out this crime because the main character, the author, I threw the main character, um, withheld an important bit of information until the very end. But does that mean that we weren't really, that it didn't really matter who did it at the end? I don't know. And I would like to, if there's anybody to talk about this, if I wanted to ask you this, how did you feel about the ending? And there is a, there's, there's a kind of, you know, moral ethical dilemma that's raised there at the end, just as there possibly could be in what happens when, when Molly's beloved grandmother dies. So it's linked to the way that this terrible evil man, Mr. Black, how he in the end dies, which we don't, we only find out at the very end. The book also has another part to it has a very happy ending because in the end, Molly um, finds herself a companion, a fellow co-worker in the hotel. His name is Juan Manuel. He is a, um, and maybe this is a bit of, you know, I don't know, stereotyping that he's an illegal immigrant. Well, he wasn't illegal. He has his work application, but his papers disappeared. He also unwittingly had become part of the evil plot that was going on in the hotel. Um, and he is, and he had become a victim of the dead man and a victim of circumstances. And he, but he and Molly at the end get together. And it, so it seems like it's a happily ever after ending, which is nice because it fits nicely, I guess, into the genre. But I don't know. I, I, I found it a bit incongruous and a bit, um, 
a bit, what shall I say, uh, it didn't expect it. And I don't know whether it, I mean, it fits, it fits the voice of the, of the narrative, of the narrator, it fits Molly very nicely, except when you look at it from the perspective of a mystery, I think that the that the audience that the readership is supposed to be able to piece together the whodunit part if you pay enough attention to clues given and in this case the author has withheld that bit of information so that's my that's my one complaint with the story it's well written it's an easy read <coughs> excuse me it's fun it provides a look, which is, I think, what the author intended, you know, where she tells us this is where she got the idea, the germ for her novel was that time when she stayed in a hotel and she surprised the maid when she came in and the maid was holding her, her sweatpants that were there on the bed and she realized, oh, you know, never really think about who cleans up this room and I come back and my mess is cleaned up and everything is so perfect that there's this invisible person who's been there who we, we really never think of. Um, so that works very nicely. It's a quick read. It's a, it's, it's a cute addition to the cozy um, crime story genres. I think the fact that it's set in 2022 or whenever, 2019, 20, like, but modern times, um, the author felt the need, perhaps, to give it this, you know, that the main character doesn't catch social clues so well, which is, of course, this story wouldn't work if, if, the, if the main character wasn't of this, you know, didn't have this problem catching, uh, putting together um, social cues that are so obvious to others. But it's a very, you know, currently popular topic of discussion, as is illegal immigration, as is euthanasia. Like she puts in a few things that make it very relevant today. Um, so I'm wondering, those of you who read the book, if there's anybody here in the in the uh, in the audience who are I don't know if you're physically in the audience or you're on Zoom because I'm not there, unfortunately, um, I see that there are a number of participants. So does anybody have is there can can we have a, I don't know a Q&A or a discussion does anybody have anything they'd like to say I don't know if I can moderate it or if perhaps um Maria I, would be I, able I, to moderate a discussion now if there is any yeah I did see a hand up and then the person put it down again oh okay chat, folks don't be shy you can put it in the chat or you can raise your hand and I'll give you the permission to speak can you see anybody, Maria? Yeah, we've got we've got some participants with us. Okay. And do you see them? I don't see them. I just see their name. Oh, okay. All right. Does anybody want to um, chat, say something? Because what did you think of the book? I'd be so curious. Again, it's me looking at myself and talking, but I. Uh... We will wait. Give people a moment. Okay. It will be interesting to see if Nita prose, um, if she's going to continue on this writing career as well as, as just being a, an editor. And if this is going to be made into a film, as I say, you can see it being very, lending itself very easily to being filmed, the, the setting in a beautiful hotel. Maybe think 
I mean, not at all alike, but you remember we read this wonderful book, A Gentleman in Moscow, where Amor tolls his novel, where the, the gentleman, the Russian gentleman is a prisoner in the Grand Hotel in Moscow and the whole um, setting of the book takes place in this hotel because he's a prisoner there. I don't know if that's being made into a movie also. Anyway, that was a great read, very different, um, but also set in a hotel. So I guess a hotel makes for a very good setting for a story, for a film, for a play. It, it seems we have a very quiet audience. Though. Oh, <laughs> it's okay. okay. It's okay, folks. Come back next time. Kathy, so much. for Yes, please. Thank I'm you. really sorry. I Yes, please come back in, in person. Um, I should be fine. Hopefully I can't get, I mean, hope can't get COVID again so soon. So anyway. Hopefully it'll give you immunity for some time. I hope so. I'm just thinking of getting a booster. So now I don't have to think of this for the next four or five months, I guess. Thank anyway. you for joining us, everyone. And Thank you, everyone. You do have the choice between coming online or in person. Thank you. Thank Bye, you. Bye-bye.